You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, as I was preparing the message uh, earlier in the week, um, I was reminded of a story that involved a group of men and women who were part of a church that Cammie and I had the privilege of pastoring when we lived in Southern California. On one particular Sunday afternoon, about 300 people from that church gathered at the church facility, and they were commissioned uh, to go out and love the city. Uh, what we saw in our heart, much like we see here, just like we see here, is that there was a great love among the people for the city, and the people wanted to see the city reach for God. Um, as they gathered that day, they were commissioned, they were sent out. Well, because there was a large homeless population in the, in the community that we lived in, there was one group of men and women who decided that they were going to go to one of the larger homeless camps that was located on the west end of the city, and they were going to set up a mobile kitchen. And so they did. That day, with great uh, enthusiasm and great compassion, this group of men and women went to the homeless camp. They set up their mobile kitchen, and they began to cook. They began to cook a really big, hearty, hot meal. And after that meal was cooked, they began to serve it to everyone who was in that homeless community that day. But they did more than just cook and serve. They actually engaged with the people. And what I mean by that is that as they cooked and as they served, uh, they came face to face with each individual and they engaged in conversation with them. They were fully present with them. They began to look them in the eye as they served them and have meaningful conversation. And it caused those people to feel like they were that day the most important people in the world. At the end of that day, it would have been very easy for those men and women to give themselves a few high fives, pats on the back, and pack up and say, okay, we're on to the next thing. But they did it. They continued to do what they did again and again and again and again. And so they began to have great impact on these men and women who were homeless. In fact, so much that we set up a part of our facility at the church so that those men and women knew that they could come every Monday night to the church And they could receive a hot meal. They could receive groceries. But most importantly, they could hear on a weekly basis how much God loves them. As a result of a group of people making this a lifestyle, serving these homeless people uh, week after week after week, many of those homeless people began to respond to the gospel. And many of them began to ask Jesus Christ into their heart as their Lord and Savior. Uh, Many of them began to attend our services on the weekend. And as they attended, very thankfully, uh, the church family there in Southern California began to embrace them. They welcomed them in just like they were. And as a result, um, uh, these men and women, they felt like they were important. They felt like they mattered. And, And not only were they receiving food and groceries on a weekly basis, but the people in the church began to resource them in a variety of ways. So what began to happen is some of those who were jobless, therefore homeless, actually became employed. And they moved from off the, out of the camp, the homeless camp, and they moved into a place of their own. That might be a room. It might be an apartment that they shared with somebody, but they were no longer homeless. Um, And as those who became employed, one of the things that they began to do is they, as a transformation was happening in their heart, they began to give back to God out of the finances that they were receiving. And then there was another group who had not found employment yet for whatever reason, but they would take their tin cans to the uh, recycling 
recycling uh, facility on a weekly basis and receive money for that. And what we saw is because a transformation, a work of the Holy Spirit was going on in their hearts and lives, they began to bring money from their tin cans and make it as an offering to the church. And so what we saw as the, the, these group of men and women who were homeless were loved through a simple act of kindness, there was a transformative work of the Holy Spirit that was opened up to happen in their hearts and in their life. So we began to see transformation in a very tangible way. If you were to ask me how I would describe this group of men and women who served that homeless community, I would say, well, they were obviously very compassionate. They were very loving. They were very accepting. Uh, they were filled with empathy. They were very kind. But the word that I would use that best describes them is that these people were very generous. They were very generous people with all that they had. Um, it's from this group of people and the example that they displayed that I was able to grow in my own understanding uh, of what it means to live with generosity as a force, a guide in life. Because they displayed it every week. Again, this group of men and women could have very easily packed up that day and said, this is a one and a one and done. We've met our quota of kindness. Now we're going to go on with life as normal. But instead, that became the normal way of life. Giving of themselves to that group of people on a weekly basis and beyond became how they lived their life. It became a, a lifestyle for them. So this group of people helped us to understand that generosity at its core is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle in which everything that we have, everything that we are, and everything we're, we're becoming, we share with others as a demonstration of God's love. They taught us that generosity is actually a response to God's grace. The message this morning is not part of a series. It's a standalone message, and it's titled Outrageous Living. Uh, and the thought behind the message is to help us understand, help us to gain a greater understanding of what it means to live with a lifestyle of worship. Now, I want to give a disclaimer. Some of you might think, oh, he's leading us up to something. He's going to lock the doors and he's going to ask for something. Listen, there's no hook with this message. None whatsoever. There's, no, uh, there's going to be no ask at the end. Um, I, I'm not leading you up to something. I'm not going to ask you to get your checkbooks out. Uh, it's not about money and it's not about tithing. This is simply a message today that helps us understand that we all have time and words and stuff and money and influence that we can share with other people. We're going to learn that God has given us all of those things and that we have the ability to give them away. Really, what we're going to do today is we're going to come to a greater understanding of what it means to choose a life of generosity. So, in honesty, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a journey. It's going to be a very brief journey. It's not going to be uh, a, a real in-depth, but we're going to take a journey uh, of generosity. And I believe in starting this journey of generosity, probably the best place for us to begin is to have an understanding of what drives generosity. And in response to that, I would say that what drives generosity is an understanding of biblical stewardship. 
What is stewardship? Stewardship is when, when someone else gives me their property, they entrust me with it to take care of and to make sure that it's used for its right purposes. So Cammie might give me something of hers. She passes it on and she's entrusting me to steward that, to make sure that it's used for its intended purpose. And so as we begin to understand biblical um, stewardship, we, we, the, the same concept applies. I want to tell you this morning, uh, three characteristics or principles, three things, whatever you want to tell them. I want to tell you at least three things uh, about an understanding of biblical stewardship. And the first is this, God owns everything. He does. God, God, God owns everything. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 24, 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's pretty plain, isn't it? I'm not making this stuff up. I'm really not. That's what the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So God owns everything. That's the first principle. The second principle is what we have has been given to us by God. How do we know that? The Bible tells us. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting sand. Pretty clear again, isn't it? Everything we have comes from where? The heavenly Father above. All the gifts that we have. So, so when we think of stewardship, God owns everything. And that means that whatever we have really doesn't belong to us anyway. It's God's property. Your title might be on the, uh, your name might be on the title of your car but the reality, uh, God supplied that. that. That's God's property. Uh, whatever we have, it belongs to God. And God has given it to us to steward, to take care of. Here's the third principle. We will all be held accountable for what we do with what we have. How do we know that? Well, again, the Bible says, uh, Hebrews 4.13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's very clear, right? So God owns everything. He entrusts us with his property to make sure that it's used for its intended purposes. And in the end, we're going to have to give account to that. That's what we need to know about stewardship. And again, I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. You can look for yourself. I think as we continue on and this journey of generosity, we also want to make sure that we're on, a, on the same page with an understanding of what generosity is. What does it actually mean to live generously? And I think the best place we can go is straight to the dictionary. So if we go to the dictionary, here's what we find. A three-part definition. Generosity. Showing a readiness to give more of something, as in time or money, than is strictly necessary. Number two larger or more plentiful than is usual or necessary. And number three, liberal in giving or sharing. Generosity could also be defined as this, extravagant, lavish, big, great-hearted, large-hearted, open-hearted, good-hearted, kind, compassionate, sympathetic, free-handed. All of those uh, synonyms they described the group of people that I talked about in Southern California. They were open-hearted. They were big-hearted. They were kind-hearted. They were generous. They were lavish. They were extravagant in how they gave to that homeless community. Let me tell you what um, generosity isn't. It isn't stingy. It isn't selfish. It isn't meager. It isn't miserly. It isn't cheap. 
It isn't greedy and it isn't tight. So we've got a working definition, but I think more importantly than having a working definition that we need to make sure we've got a right model. And we do, as believers, we have a right model. And that model is God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. When we look through Scripture, we can find all kinds of passages that prove that God is a generous God, that He's modeled that for us. Um, Out of all of those, the one that surfaces most to me, and it's probably the most common, and you all know it, is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, He what? He gave. He gave his only son so that we could have forgiveness of our sin and we could have eternal life. God loved us so much he gave. In other words, God is such a generous God that he gave his son so that we could live forever. So that we could be in right standing with him. When I think about the model of Jesus Christ, I think about Philippians chapter 2. Where it says that, uh, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, he gave himself even unto death so that you and I could have forgiveness of our sin and have eternal life. So the model that Jesus, Jesus gave himself. We we remembered that this morning. He gave himself on the cross for us. And then there are other scriptures. uh, Psalm 68, 19. It says, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. That's pretty incredible that he daily loads us with benefits. Again, I'm not making it up. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 says, God generously gives us all things for our enjoyment. That's pretty cool that God generously gives us all things for our enjoyment. God doesn't want us to walk around miserable all the time. So he gives us and he gives it to us for our enjoyment. That's the model that we have. Why so much talk? Why would we even talk today about living generously? Why is it so important? Well, there are three passages of Scripture that I want us to look at. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6? 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to read to you a passage in just a moment. Verses 17 uh, through 19. Why is living generously so important? Well, to begin with, generosity is a biblical command. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and on, it says... I hear pages turning. I'm going to wait a minute. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So it's there. The principle of generosity, that it's a biblical command. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, here's the second thing that I would say why it's so important. Um, It expresses God's love and God's kindness to other people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. I'll pause a minute. Matthew 5, 16, it says, In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in other words, as you are generous to other people, guess who's glorified? Not you, not me, but God is glorified through our generosity. And then finally, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read to you verses 6 through 11. I'll give you a second to get there. I, 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 I cheat. I have them all marked. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. And the point is that generosity is a biblical principle that we cannot deny. In verse 6 it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Listen to verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you could be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So there's an incredible principle here. You've heard it said probably before that we cannot outgive God. Well, this proves that principle. So what we're reading in the latter portion of this uh, uh, passage that I just read is that uh, God who owns everything supplies all that we have need of. He, that's, that's where it comes from. Everything we have comes from God. So God supplies our need. It doesn't talk about your wants. He says he supplies what we have need. And as he supplies our need, our need is met. But he's also supplying to us so that out of what he supplied to us, we can generously give to others. And again, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our time, our words, our stuff, our money, our influence. So God supplies all that we have need of. He does it generously in such a way that what we have, there's an abundance so we can give to others. We can bless others. And then here's the greatness of that principle. It's cyclical. So God continues. It, it never runs out, but God continues to supply our need generously. So our needs are met and we, through the generosity of God, we have the abundance to help others and it's cyclical. It just happens. God keeps supplying. Our needs are met. We give to others generously. God keeps supplying our needs and it just goes on and on and on. We really can't outgive God. This is a biblical principle that cannot be denied. There's a researcher by the name of Dr. Stephen Post and he conducted a study to determine the impact uh, on people who practice generosity. And here's his conclusion. Habitually generous people are happier, have deeper relationships, and they live longer. Uh, that's pretty great research. Happier, live longer. This is incredible. And this is scientific research. Again, I, I didn't make it up. So I think we could, we could, we would not be off base to say not only is generosity a biblical principle, but it's the most logical, wise, and rewarding way to order our lives and our resources. 
Uh, we read from uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. So as I'm closing, I just want to pull a few lessons from there on generosity. So if we look at verse 6, the principle there is we reap in relation to what we sow. In verse 6, it says, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you reap generously. That's a biblical principle. If we draw from verse 7, we learn that, what, that God loves a cheerful giver because it reveals a transformed heart. Paul, as he writes, he says, don't give out of compulsion. Don't give uh, with reluctance, but instead give out of what you've decided in your heart to give. In other words, there's a transformation that is happening by the Holy Spirit as we open up for the work of the Holy Spirit. Something happens in our heart and suddenly a lifestyle of generosity becomes the way that we want to live. It's not like, oh, I have to give of my time or I have to spend some time speaking encouragement to that person or I need to give, I have to give money to whatever. But instead, there's a transformation of our heart. So we want to live that way. We draw from verse 8. We learn that God is looking for people that he can flow his goods through. Paul wrote and he said, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So we have all that we need so that we can abound in every good work. So in other words, God didn't call us to be reservoirs that hold on and dam up the supplies, but he's called us to be rivers who let the, the, the abundance of God flow through us. And then finally, drawing from verse 11, God, you might have heard this before, God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Did you realize how often the word generous occurs in Scripture? I mean, it's just there time after time after time. And so Paul is saying, you will be uh, enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So again, God gives to us and we are to give out to others and God continues to give out to us. So God is calling us to live a lifestyle of generosity. I thought maybe the best way to end this is to just give us some practical ways that we can practice generosity. And let me give you several. Um, I said that we all have time, words, stuff, money, and influence. So practical ways to give, live generously with our time. Look for an opportunity to volunteer somewhere. Now, we do have plenty of opportunity for you to volunteer to serve here at Grace Covenant, but maybe that's not where you're able to do. So you look for a place to, 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 to serve, to give your time away, and maybe it's with a nonprofit. It's something, something in the community. What about your words? Um, we encounter people on a daily basis who are going through difficult times, who are down, who are depressed. One of the greatest things that we could do in generosity is that we could identify, purposely identify at least one of those people and make, uh, uh, make an, uh, take an opportunity to spend time with them. And when I say spend time with them, it means that you would be with them and you would be fully present. Cell phones, somewhere else. You're not looking at your watch because then the person feels you're not fully present. But you would spend time fully engaged, fully present with that person, and you would begin to speak to them words of encouragement, words of affirmation, words from the scripture, words that would build them up, words that would just help them understand that God loves them and they are so important. What about our stuff? That's easy. Just purge your closet and give away those clothes that you haven't worn in six years. Listen, they're not coming back in style. 
Don't even try. It's just not going to happen. Give them away. Uh, Money. Find someone in need and appropriately help them with your finances. You're not going to go and help everybody who says they have a need. But let God put someone on your heart where you see a true need financially. And you figure out a way how you can give from your generous supply from God back to them to help them. And then finally, influence. Um, We've all gone through experiences in life. We've had successes and we've had failures. I think one of the greatest things that we can do is begin to influence someone by becoming a mentor. By investing in a person to say, I want to help you not have to live some of the things that I've lived. Here are some things I've learned through my failures. And here are some things I've learned through my successes. And so you begin to influence them generously. It takes time. It takes words. But you begin to invest in their lives. And you do it through biblical principles. And so we have some very practical ways. And see, I'm not asking, don't lock the doors. You can open them. Don't, I'm not asking you to get out your checkbook. Listen, I just want us all to be transformed in such a way that we live life generously. And we look for opportunities to do that. Would you stand? Father God, thank you for your generosity to us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave. You gave your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have eternal life and so that we could have forgiveness of our sin. Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you gave. You gave your life. Generously gave everything you were so that we could have forgiveness of our sin, have eternal life, be in right standing with God. God, we thank you for your generosity to us. We thank you for the model that we have through the Father and through the Son. Father, we confess today that we all have time. We all have words. We all have stuff. We all have money. We all have influence that we can share with others as a demonstration of your love. So I pray that you plant this deeper in our hearts And that we would move into a greater lifestyle of generosity. Father God, we offer ourselves to you. We recognize that it's easy to cater to ourselves. We pray that you would help us move beyond that by work of your Holy Spirit. So we surrender to you. And we say that we will be a generous people in every way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.